TGIMTMRE. This is episode 370. As you learn and you progress, you get to give that gift to somebody else. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Odette Kressler. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we've got Stephanie. Stephanie is 42 years old. She is from Pennsylvania, and she took her last drink on January 1st of 2020. And before we get to our interview, I'm just really excited and grateful to be here once again doing another introduction for the show. You know, you guys have been hearing from Paul a lot during these intros, and I'm just happy that I still get to share. I've been thinking a lot about recovery and sobriety in the last few months. The phases we go through while on this journey. The phases I've been through while on this journey. For me, recovery will never end. If you're a new listener here, you may not know a few things about me. I've struggled with mental health issues since I was pretty young. I lived with an eating disorder for many years of my life. I'm still trying to navigate codependency. I love spicy chili mango and depression kicks my ass from time to time. For me, not drinking is just a slice of the cake. For me, sobriety is not just about ditching the booze. I've been in recovery for 10 plus years and in the last few months, I've realized that I hadn't thought about some things that may have been helpful all along. I never asked myself at the beginning of my journey, what does recovery mean to me? Because here's the thing, recovery is one of those words like, let's see, what's a good one for the point that I'm trying to make? Okay, recovery is one of those words like success. Success can be defined in so many ways and needs to be defined by the person aiming to live in that definition. Success may mean money to some and peace of mind to others. Success may mean raising a family to a person or owning an expensive Prada bag to another. My sobriety tracker had me answer this question when I first downloaded it. Why do you wanna quit alcohol? My answer was, it prevents me from being my best self. I remember that answer was so easy for me to come up with because every time I drank at that time, I felt like I was walking away from myself instead of towards myself. When I joined the sobriety movement, I wasn't new to recovery. I went to treatment many years before trying to ditch the booze, but I wasn't familiar with the date count that sober people have and the chips and those milestones. Because in eating disorder recovery, we don't really count days. Because unlike alcohol, you can't quit food. You need food. And when I stepped into this amazing community, I realized that there were milestones and praises. My brain loved it. I've always loved working towards goals and having something to show for your hard work. I've been in this community of sober people long enough to send something, though. Yes, we are full of strength and vulnerability and encouragement and support. But we're also full of fear sometimes. Because what if we fail? What if we have to start again? What if our worth becomes intertwined with our day count? Stacking days matters. 
So please don't take my words out of context. What I want to address here is the shame factor that goes along with slipping and relapses. If only people knew how much this happens, maybe we wouldn't be so ashamed to talk about it. Recovery is complicated because for many of us, when we enter the arena of recovery, we enter the arena of perfection. We want to get it done and we want to get it right. If only it were that easy. Last December, I slipped. My slip cost me my three-year chip of consecutive sobriety. However, it did not cost me my 10 plus years in recovery. But for a moment, for many days actually, it did. I even told Paul that I felt like an imposter doing the show. I spoke to my close support system along the way, as well as my therapist, and I'm still processing. It's taken me some time to share this because I really have doubled down on figuring out what happened. How long had I been relapsed in my brain already before it actually happened? What is actually going on? What is so unmanageable in my body right now that taking a drink is a solution? Mental health issues are no joke, team. I think my role as someone being publicly in recovery has been a beautiful gift and also it's been this underlying pressure of wanting to do this perfectly, of giving myself no room for error or for wobbles. The truth is, I'm just someone in recovery, like all of us. I have no advice. I'm not a guru. I'm just here to share my experience. When I slipped, there were so many wobbles in my mental health. My depression was getting the best of me. My eating disorder was creeping up. And I had some personal private issues happening as well. When many things are hard, the ground is very fertile for slip-ups. But why does it feel like when we fall, we are taken out of the game? I will never not be in recovery. And that decision is mine to take. Because for me, recovery is showing up for myself, managing and nurturing my mental health. For me, sobriety is about so much more than not drinking. It's about walking towards myself and my truth. It's about being honest with myself and my family and my close friends. I've really been dedicating some time into defining what are the behaviors and actions that put me in my definition of recovery. The goal, of course, is to be there and live there and stay there one day at a time. After I slipped, I stayed in a place of shame for some time and it wasn't serving me or anyone around me. I'm extremely grateful for my family and friends for reminding me of all of the things that I tried to remind you all week after week. They say you find your real friends once you get sober. And I also think you find your real friends when you slip or relapse. I really want to encourage you all to take some time and define recovery and sobriety for yourselves. What aspects of this journey still shame you and how can you reframe them? If you are struggling to make it past day one, do you need a post-it that says, keep trying, instead of that thought on a loop that says you're failing? The thing about shame is that it dissolves our hope. And when we don't have hope, we stop showing up. We stop trying. We think we are better off just drinking and being the way that we once were. The truth is, in every attempt, we flex a muscle. In every attempt, we get stronger. And in every attempt, we grow. Please believe that. I think that if we really get clear on defining sobriety for ourselves, we feel less shame around others on this path because we are clear on what is true to us individually. Comparing our recovery journeys can be dangerous. 
The point of this journey and my hope for all of us is that we stay in the game, that we don't quit quitting on ourselves. So keep going, team. I'm right here with you. All right, eso es todo. And before we hear from Chris and Stephanie, let's hear from our sponsors today. Founded in Northern California, the team at Cala Ukulele has been designing and building ukuleles for over 15 years. Today, Kala is the most popular ukulele brand in the world. Kala's mission is to create affordable and high-quality ukuleles at every price point. The ukulele is super fun and fulfilling. Anyone can learn. And if you don't believe me, you can always ask Paul. This instrument has a remarkable ability to keep you feeling calm, centered, and rejuvenated as you learn, grow, and pursue your life in sobriety. If you're interested in learning more about Kala, their instruments, and even get free lessons and tips on how to play the ukulele, then head over to Kala's website. You can also use our link, kalabrand.com forward slash elevator for 15% off on your first purchase at Kala. That's kalabrand.com forward slash elevator. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the best online therapy option that currently exists on the market. Mental health matters, and as we continue to live through these stressful times, it has become more and more evident that we need to have someone that can help us process our emotions and navigate the challenges of sobriety. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. BetterHelp provides a broad range of expertise, which may not be locally available in many areas. The platform is super easy to navigate as you can log into your account at any time and send a message to your counselor. You'll get a timely and thoughtful response. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions with your counselor. BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. You all know that I'm a big proponent of therapy, so I highly recommend you check it out. Simply visit betterhelp.com forward slash elevator. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, and join everyone that is taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Recovery Elevator listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com forward slash elevator. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com forward slash elevator. Odette, thank you for the intro and Recovery Elevator. Please help me welcome Stephanie. Stephanie, how are you? I'm awesome. It's really, really good to see you. Listeners, uh, Stephanie kind of has a special place in my heart and in the heart of Team RE. Uh, if you've ever been to our website, seen any of the, the merchandise that we sell, um, Stephanie has a big hand in that. And we need to like make a note. We will get to that story about how that came to be, but <laughs> Stephanie is our merch queen, so it's uh, it's really cool to have another member of our team on the show, and it's just good to see you. Stephanie, how long have you been sober? I have been a sober person a little over two years now. Two years. That's fantastic. How, uh, how are you feeling? How was year two? <sighs> different. A lot different than year one. It's you kind of fall more into a rhythm of things and you get a little less pink cloud. It's a little, it feels a little bit more like work than it originally did. 
if that makes sense. It's like, it's a different kind of work, I would say. Yeah. You took a lot of steps too, which we'll, which we'll get into, but that's good. Two years is fantastic. And we're a few, a few months into the new year, but like, great job. Nice, nice work, Stephanie. And before we get too deep, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, what you do for a living, uh, age, hobbies? What do you like to do for fun? Well, I am 42. I live in southeastern PA, a little bit north of Philadelphia. I have been a runner for a long, long time. I recently have had to shelf that because I am back in school. So my whole entire career path has changed. I was in the restaurant industry from my early 20s, late teens until the pandemic hit. And I I lost my job twice through that, being that it is my primary income that supports my household. I'm a single mom of two boys. I needed to find something new to do. So I made a plan, thought now is good as time as any, and I started back to school. So I'm in nursing school currently, and that's basically my full-time job. How exciting is that? Like I know just being friends, like I've seen that transition pan out and uh, I know it's, I know it's been a lot of work, but I know there's been some parts of it that have been really rewarding too. So it's, it's kind of a cool, I don't know. I don't know if, if cool is the right word, but it's, you know, daunting and challenging, but like, that's really, it's really exciting too. So. Yeah. You know, and it's something I don't know that I could have done without being sober. The ability to remain focused and goal oriented and not let the overwhelm of what has to be done get in my way. I don't think that would be possible without cutting the alcohol out of my life. Yeah. Well, good work. Nice work. Lastly, last but not least, did you say what you like to do for fun? I said I like to run. So. Oh, <laughs> but it's I just so far it. from what I do for fun <laughs> that it didn't register. <laughs> I, I also do like to cook. So there's that as well. But kind of what got me into the restaurant business in the first place. That and, of course, like pairing alcohol with <laughs> the lake. Weird, right? Yeah. <laughs> Lately, I'm struggling a lot for fun. It's hard to find fun sometimes. Yeah. Well, Stephanie, let's do what we came here to do. Let's just start with like your introduction to alcohol. Tell us a, a little bit about your past, like what that what that looked like, just getting into it, experimenting, exploring, finding it. I think that alcohol for me, when it was introduced into my life, there was no doubt about it. Like I was doing it to escape. I had great parents, very caring like I had a great 80s childhood like upbringing like neighborhood playing tag doing all the great fun things but I did experience some uh trauma as a child like I had some abuse sexual abuse happened to me and it was kind of pushed down and I never talked about it and there's a lot of shame behind that and I think that it definitely molded my feelings of value and how I let my relationships dictate 
what I'm going to do. Like, I think as soon as alcohol was available to me, I never just like dabbled in it. It was like, I'm, I'm getting drunk. I really took a lot of pride as I progressed into my teen years as being like the girl that could out drink the boy. <laughs> a lot of people in cases like mine are like that. There's like a pride in getting faced. <laughs> yeah. Was there a part of that that was, what do you think the motivation was? You know, I'm sure that there's some pain, but that pain is not always at the surface. Do you think some of your, I don't know. I've, I've just heard others say that like some of that past makes it, uh, makes it hard to have relationships, like hard to trust people and, and open up to people. And I think alcohol can kind of fill that gap a little bit. Oh, definitely. Like, I think that a lot of it is feeling like you don't belong. That voice inside your head that says like, you're not enough, that like people don't like you. And it like helps you silence that voice. It helps you feel like you belong, or at least you don't care if you don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can have these these moments in our life where we've had like an unmet need or, or you know, that's kind of like the downplayed version, of course, but like these terrible stuff that has happened. And if we're able to tell people or, or not tell people, it's subconsciously we're, we're telling ourselves something and it, and that sucks that, that people, that, that we buy into that. And then alcohol, like, you know, exactly like you said, it can either make that fear or that hurt go away or can allow us to open up and I don't know what was it well what age what age did you did you start drinking you know I don't remember I listen to people and I like listen to their experiences the first time that I had alcohol I remember it I can't remember it as per like I would say that right before I hit like my teen years until my late 20s and sometimes in and out then like it's a very much a blur for me Mm. i have trouble like recalling specific events or like details of any that period of my life okay you um hear a lot that people block these sections of time out as like a trauma response but my section of time that i blocked out wasn't very traumatic it was just more that developmental time, you know, and I had other things happen to me through that time. Like I was in a really bad car accident. I almost lost my life. I had been thrown from the hood of a car and I had a fractured skull. I was in a coma. And that was right before my 16th birthday. I was in a coma over my 16th birthday. And then my father got sick from cancer and I got pregnant with my son because I would have a baby before my dad died. So that is when I got pregnant with my oldest son, Isaac, who's a senior in high school now. <laughs> were, you, were you were you out of school when you got pregnant with him? Oh, yeah. People like often think I was like a super young mom. I had Isaac two months before I turned 25. Okay. So like your teen years and your early 20s. Or it was partying. Like, kind of partying. A, kind of a blur but like a lot of a lot of partying i was always very wild very rebellious always in trouble (laughs) leaning into the alcohol yeah did you my parents i fought everything they said to me tooth and nail they didn't know why did you have any uh any consequences during those during that like frame of time like whether it was like legal or or social or 
I mean, I do remember a lot of embarrassing nights where like I would just start sobbing. I was just crying. I'd be a mess. Like it wasn't like fun alcohol use. It was sad. But I didn't, I somehow always managed to get out of trouble. Like I could sweet talk my way out of everything for the longest time. Mm-hmm. I didn't have those kinds of consequences that a lot of people have that make them question their use. I just thought I was just like everybody else. Yeah. I didn't start really questioning it until I got into my like late 20s. When I start seeing other people and like questioning their use, then I was like, wait. Did did your family ever say anything to you? To, uh, no, never. Or friends? No, never. I was, see, I... I think I managed to keep it and look not so bad. You know what I mean? Like, even when it was, I remember one of my classic moves would always be to buy boxes of wine because you can't see what you're drinking in the box of wine. Like, nobody's judging you. Like, you can't see that you drank half that bottle. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, actually, I was on one of my ditching the booze things. Like, I did a little clip for a recovery elevator on that. They were like, mm. I need to ditch the booze when, and I would like keep a box of wine under the sink and then keep like a show bottle on the counter. So <laughs> I would always just fill my show bottle up. So it didn't look like I was really actually drinking it. <laughs> that, that makes me think of like in the summer, we'd be out on the boat and I would have like these fancy like summer shandies and I'd be like, oh, I'm just going to have a couple of these off the back of the boat. And then like, as we're driving back, you could hear like the 15 empty cans of shit beer rattling in the ski locker. <laughs> so, so even if you didn't think that you had a problem, like there were still like maybe early on, there were still some, like some, oh, si- some signs. Definitely blacking out from the yeah. time, like my teen years. Yeah. And I just didn't know how to stop. Like, once I started, I would keep going until I fell asleep or passed out. Mm-hmm. Like there was no like moderation anywhere for me ever. Yeah. And if I had to moderate it, I was thinking about it a lot. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's crazy. I think there's, I would look at my past and think like, yeah, I, I had bouts of moderation, right? Like I went a couple weeks here or like I would go a month where I was just drinking on the weekends. And like maybe logistically, like on paper, it was successful. But what you just said, I think, is such a key key component. There's how many how many of us listeners raise your hands? Have you been like, yeah, I could moderate, but like that mental, like yeah. that that mental component of it, like maybe our consumption was within, you know, met the parameters that we set, but mentally, how much time was spent on like, shit? I just wish I could have a few more, or I wish I could have started earlier, or I wish that that I could drink kind of unhinged the way that I want or, to. Or when I leave here, do I have enough alcohol at home? <laughs> do I have to leave here early so I can hit a liquor store before I go home so I have enough once I get there? And I was always like fighting it off until the end of the day. That's another thing a lot with like runners and stuff like that. You'll see a lot of people in the recovery community are very much into these types of excessive exercising regimens because like we're rewarding ourselves. Like, oh, well, we did all this work. Now we can reward ourselves for it. Like it's that mental component that just keeps you a prisoner. I remember one time like 
looking, it's funny because I uh, used to smoke too. And I remember when I quit smoking, it was really ran along like the same types of ups and downs, the same scale almost. Like I noticed the same rhythm that you have, like the things that you do to help overcome the addiction, they like line up the same in so many different addictions. I made a plan with it and uh, you like reward yourself or you keep yourself busy or you find communities. Like it's also similar. It's like you feel a prisoner to this thing. Like you don't control it. It controls you. Mm-hmm. You think that you have it like under control, but the whole time your brain is still a prisoner of it. Yeah. And and I think a lot of what that, like whether it's high intensity sports or being successful in a career or uh, like an academic or any, any level of achievement, whether it's physical, mental, whatever we use these, we use these things to be like, how could I have a problem? Because I've met all these other parameters. So that like, that's not me. And like I'm excluded from that category because of this. Right. And it's just, and, and like you said, it was like, we're, we're prisoners and that's just another way that I don't know why our brains do that. I can't, I don't know. I can't get stuck in like the science of it, but, <laughs> but yeah, it's just another way that we, that we, we kind of prolong it for ourselves mm-hmm. because that rationalizing it can be easier than, than facing the, like, what if, like, what if, the discomfort. yeah. What if I'm an alcoholic? And if you don't like that term, that's okay. What if I'm sub- someone who can't control my drinking the way that I want to be able to, or the way that I think that I should be able to. So, yeah. I remember yeah. when I realized like I was drinking nightly and I would ask people around me, I'd be like, do you think I have a problem if I have a drink every night? And they'd be like, no, you're fine. I do that too. And I'd be like, see, I'm okay. <laughs> a little confirmation bias. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, and I think a lot of it's that voice inside your head. It's so it's not you. It's like what your brain is telling you. It's the same voices that say like, you don't fit in or they don't like you. Yeah. It sounds corny, but it's true. But like, it, it's like, it lies to us in our own voice. Oh, absolutely. You think it's you, but it it's just brain activity. Like, yeah. Yeah, I definitely get that. I still get it. Like, and I think that is often like around the same time as now too. Like, you're like, okay, now I've done all these things. I've made all these connections. Now we're on a new path. Like our journey's changing a little bit. Like, do I still belong? Like that, that, that voice, like you're always fighting this voice inside of you. I get it. And I think, I think the listeners get it too. Well, let's, let's keep going on this. We got to your mid twenties. And you said it was around your late twenties that you kind of started to notice. Let's talk about those, those years. And if, if you remember, give or take how old you were, like the starting to recognize that it, that, all right, this is becoming more than I, I think that it is and evolving from that, just like partying phase where, ah, who gives a shit? I'm just going to party to recognizing that this is a problem. And maybe some of those control techniques or or, or or the feelings as as you were working into that? I think that one of my big things was that I wanted to surround myself with people that had worse problems than me. Ah, uh, Lori Barr? <laughs> 
So I think I sought out relationships where like I could be the one that's like, hey, maybe we should take you to a meeting or maybe you need to think about that. Like I remember taking a friend of mine who's been sober over 10 years now to one of her first AA meetings. Like I was like, you have a problem. We're doing something about it. Like it was this projection I could do. And I think that when I realized it like really was an issue was probably my separation from my son's father. I had that and then we found out about like my dad's diagnosis and I remember like I didn't eat or anything. I was just drinking for a while and I'd lost like 50 pounds in three months. It was a rough time. And I think that really made me like, I couldn't do anything like except drink to make it feel less painful. And I think that's when I really realized that there was a problem. So I made a big change and I thought it would be okay. Like that's when I started running stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, like it was never about what I was pulling out and taking away that was taken away from my life. It was more about like, well, what can I add in to make my life more full? You know what I mean? It wasn't about like pulling the alcohol out and like recognizing that was an issue. It was more about like, okay, well now I'm going to add this in because if I'm running and doing this, it'll make my life better. Or like if I put a new career in, this will make my life better or you know, it wasn't, I couldn't like focus on the concept that it was taking so much with the alcohol that I was trying to add back in. Yeah. That running was, that was like a, tr- a tribute to your father, right? Yeah. That's actually, yeah. That's how I started it. My father passed away. I was 28 and I decided like after that, and I had lost all that weight. I was like, I want to be around for my children. Yeah. And it was, it was a, like a health, a health choice too. Like Absolutely. A- yeah. And I, it's like, also when I quit smoking, I decided I would quit for my dad's 60th, 60th birthday. What would have been his 60th birthday? He was 59 and he died four months before his 60th birthday. So I planned for that day that like, that would be it. Like I would quit smoking. I was already exercising. I was going to start running. I he didn't know how I was going to go about it. So I joined the Leukemia Lymphoma Society's team and training and I uh, fundraise. And that's like one of my big passions. I love, love, love like fundraising, that kind of work. Like, mm-hmm. But I raised like over $4,000 for Leukemia and Lymphoma Society and they flew me out to San Diego. And that's where I ran my first full marathon in his name, in his memory. It was a really awesome opportunity. So yeah, that kind of got you going into this, yeah. like, like running, like, I mean, mm-hmm. that was very much, I, I, would I be, would it be appropriate to say that was a, like a huge part of your identity for? Oh, certainly. Like, trust me, that was a huge part of my identity that started to like me to like move upward. So then shortly after that, I ended up pregnant with my second son, which was a new whole transition in my life. But, you know, like those things that you do, they only work for a while. Yeah. And we tend to keep the same kind of company, you know, like it's like putting a bandaid on things. Yeah. Eventually everything is going to bubble up. You're going to continue making poor choices. 
I have a very good relationship with my younger son's father, but it wasn't healthy for either of us. And that was a big struggle for me. It still is. It continues to be, you know. And here I made these huge changes in my life because I wanted to be around for my children. And I remember like leading up until like I finally quit, I was doing all kinds of things. Like I was like looking for apps to help me like quit drinking or to like get that under control. Like, or I was always doing like some kind of a detox diet where like I quit for 21 days, but it was always like, I could see it. Like Mm -hmm. I knew that I was going to be able to get to do this thing again. Like in my brain, it like never clicked that I had to always like quit forever. Yeah. That forever term just seemed like so daunting and like, like I was not going to have fun anymore. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's scary when it's a, when it's such a huge part of our lives to think of just taking it away. And especially when we've been through things, childhood trauma, loss of family members, just loss of relationships, just stuff that accumulates over time. If alcohol becomes, it becomes more than just like a, a drink. We kind of, I think we, we humanize it. And there, you know, there's a lot of people talk about like writing these goodbye letters to alcohol. And, and the whole point of that is that it, it becomes more than just like a thing. It's not like quitting Coca-Cola or quitting LaCroix, or I'm not gonna have my orange juice in the morning. Like because of what it does to us, it's like a friend and it's, it's a relationship. And to think of, of losing that or letting go of that is it scares the shit out of us right? because, because it's, for all the terrible stuff that it does, it it's also the brought us feel comfortable. Yeah. It's, it's also <laughs> brought us a lot of peace and it's, you know, it's like served its purpose until it's, you know, until the, the side effects start to overtake our lives as well. Do you, do you think that the benef- some of the benefits you saw from, you know, quitting smoking and getting into, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, getting into running culture, do you think some of that kind of propelled that thought of, of taking a look at alcohol as well? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I have told you before that I knew that I needed community. I needed my people more than I needed recovery. Mm -hmm. And I found that in so many different lifestyles. Like I found that in the running community and I found that in the restaurant community. Like I was finding, like I knew I needed my people. I, I was searching for that even as I like, approached this ticking time bomb. <laughs> like yeah. I I knew I was looking for somebody somewhere to fit in, to be part of, to be accepted or for people to understand how I felt. Yeah. I I knew that. Well let's let's kind of move up to um to where you found that. So let's uh January second of twenty twenty, last drink. So what did that last month or or couple months look like? Like what was that, what kind of pushed that decision or, or, or made that, you know, made it so that, that that was the day. I can tell you that catalyst for everything. I was going through a lot of emotions. I remember that. I remember like, I would always have this like building feeling like I would not drink until the evening. I had to get all the things done like, and I could feel the pressure building like in the evening and all the things had to get done. And I would be so stressed and anxious 
and I would start to get sleepy at my kids. And I would like, as soon as I took that drink, it all would melt away. Like, and I would just, but I remember one morning waking up and talking to my youngest son at the time. And he was eight years old and he was telling me this story. And I had no idea what he was talking about. He's like, you don't remember this last night, mom. You don't remember us talking about this. Like I was putting my kid to bed and I was so gone that I just, I was blacking out full conversations with him. And I just remembered that part of the reason that I had started that lifestyle before was because I wanted to be here for my kids. Mm-hmm. And I began to like, think about like, am I really here though? Am I here for them? And like, will I be here for their kids or am I going to be sick and like somebody they have to take care of more than me being able to take care of them? That was definitely the catalyst when I realized that I was missing whole entire periods of my life. These moments will never get back with them. Mm -hmm. As tough as as it is to to hear some of that stuff or or to have those realizations, like I'm, I'm glad that you... I'm glad that you did because you're here and you're with us. Well, I started Googling things. (laughs) She's a Googler. As as we all do. (laughs) What'd you find? Um, Well, I think that the algorithms that follow us pulled up, they pulled up audiobooks for me, suggested audiobooks, and Paul's book came up on my suggested audiobook. Like, oh, try this free Audible. And I was like, okay. So I would like listen to it while I ran. Mm -hmm. So that's how I found out about Half ARE and Recovery Elevator. I would run and I would listen to this book. And I bought it in December of 2019 and I was listening. And I knew I was getting close. I knew that time was coming. And the day that I finished the book, it was January 1st. 2020 and I was on a run and he was like, I, I don't remember the specific details, but I was like thinking about the letter that you're supposed to write your alter ego. And I'm crying. Cause I know like, this is it. Like I've got to like do this. Like my like life is on the line here. And as I'm listening and I'm crying, I got a text message from somebody that is, uh, a restaurant regular of mine, because I was in the restaurant industry for a long time. He was a restaurant regular of mine and he had been sober over 10 years. And he was like, Hey, Stephanie here, blah, blah, blah. I am just letting you know, I'm thinking about you. And I hope that you have a healthy and safe 2020 new year. And it was just like, boom, boom, boom. All these things fell into place. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh my God, this is what I got to do. This sober guy's messaging me like I'm crying and like about this problem I have. I just finished this book. Like I heard about this community. I went inside. I signed up for Cafe RE that night. I had a half a bottle of wine sitting at home. Of course, I wasn't going to dump it. So (laughs) (laughs) I um, recorded a video of myself and I was saying goodbye to the, the last glass of wine I had in the house. And I knew like In that moment, something shifted in me and it went from learning to moderate to understanding like this was something I couldn't have be a part of my life anymore. And with that shift, it, that surrender, it just lifted something in me. Like I knew this is what I had to do and I recorded it and I 
cried and the rest is history. I joined Cafe Army. I've been a member of it since. I got to start up with many of my very good friends. I have a core group of friends that I've started with, you being one of them, <laughs> um, that I still look for, for support today. Like it might not be about what am I going to do to get past this craving, but we're all there for each other. And it's such an important component that gets overlooked from some people. You know, you've mentioned how important uh, community has been in, in other areas of your life and how you found that fellowship in the restaurant community, in the running community. What, like, did you know? Did It, it seems like a pretty smooth, pretty smooth transition into a recovery community. I don't, did, you, did you ever think before that community for, for alcohol would be, would, like, would be a thing? No, you know, my boss was big AA guy and it was actually, it, that scared me more to be a member of that community mm-hmm. because it, it was like, what if I fail? Then yeah. what? You know, there's, <laughs> what what's crazy is there's so many, I think, I don't think you're alone in that. I thought the same thing because it's, because again, it's daunting. The idea mm-hmm. of like never having alcohol again and listeners, like we don't have to, we don't have to get sober for the rest of our life today. Like it's, it's, no, a, it's, a, it's a day-to-day thing. And just like, what have you seen in general? If you've seen people have a slip up or a relapse or field research, like whatever term you want to use from people in recovery, what have you seen people's response? If somebody has that slip, you know, like, is it that harshness that we, that we no. fear? No, it's support. Definitely. Like excessive support. <laughs> like, yeah. like I don't, I think that the slip up is more an internal personal thing. Mm-hmm. It's not about the people around you. It's more like, how am I going to save face? Or like, I'm embarrassed about this. Like, no, I don't. I think that, and that you're right. Like you don't have to say like forever for today. Yeah. For me, like I know that I wouldn't have the endurance to keep doing the work I need to do if I gave in to alcohol again, like I know it's hard to move some of this. <laughs> yeah. It would be tough. And it's, I think one of the, you know, not to beat the snot out of the community thing, but like, that's one of the, that's one of the, the most beautiful things. And, you know, obviously Stephanie, you and I both use cafe RE and, and that's one there's, there's many out there. Uh, of course, I don't want this to be a sales pitch, but there's, there's a lot. There's a lot of places that that we can find it, but to have that that fellowship, that community of folks who who have our who have our back and who are gonna do that combination of like love us when we when we're not able to love ourselves, and then also hold us accountable. I think that's when we can develop some like serious momentum in mm-hmm. in our recovery. I think that one of the biggest parts of it, though, is. As you learn and you progress, you get to give that gift to somebody else. That that like service work that's discussed so much. Like I've always said that if I could make enough money, I would do charity work for the rest of my life. Yeah. Like it's so rewarding. And to be able to like genuinely find something that you love, that you feel comfortable in, that you're like, is bringing you joy and being able to like share that with somebody else and try and help them get there. I think that's like such a big part of it that, 
and like you said, like you, there's, there is community everywhere because I don't just only talk to the Kathiari community. I'm pretty open about my whole journey. I just met somebody at school <laughs> in the work study program with me. And she's like, oh, what's your name? Maybe I've seen you in the rooms. And I'm like, well, no, you probably haven't because I'm a very busy mom and I don't get a lot of time out, which was why Cafe Ari was so important to me too. And I got sober at just like the perfect time. I feel like right before the pandemic happened, mm-hmm. I don't know how I would have survived that without, without yeah. this. Yeah, without fellowship. It- I mean, I lost my job. I lost everything through that. Like... I have been so lucky for the amount of support and love that I've gotten in chasing these dreams of mine. You know, I've had a couple things, a couple like signs come to me through my life and following this goal came to me like loudly (laughs) and everything hadn't happened exactly how it did and COVID hadn't happened. And I hadn't met the people I met in this community and continued to meet. I can't imagine it like any other set of circumstances. Yeah. Taking, taking what life gives us and, and like, what do we, what do we, like, what are we, what are we going to do with it? Yeah. How are we going to look at it? Mm-hmm. Like, it's not a matter of what you're given. It's how, are, how am I going to see this? Yeah. Like, not if something's good or bad. What can I learn from this opportunity? I lost my job. I was given this gift of time that I'd never had before. I was always working so much to be able to just provide the basic minimum for my children and myself. Like I was just working, working, working. Like I didn't have time for meetings. I didn't have time for like, that's why I joined Capacity. And now all of a sudden everything stopped. I lost my job, but then I got unemployment. So that helped support me for a little bit. And it gave me time to put together the tools I needed to come up with a plan. And instead of like spending that time drinking and like blacked out, I had time to think and work through processes and stuff Mm -hmm. and change everything. That's amazing. So you're you in your second year or finishing your first, your first year of school? Of school? Yeah. I am getting ready to petition right now for our nursing program at the college. It's a selective admissions. So I'm preparing to take the T's exams, which is what they use to kind of gauge where you are on an educational basis. And they like the top and rank down through. So it's kind of a stressful time right now. (laughs) I am through almost all of my other classes. And if I, when I get into the nursing program, not if, when, I will only have to focus on my nursing. I'll have all my core classes done. And let's talk about what, uh, just like another, another gift of sobriety and not like not just sobriety, but like you busting your ass. Also, what is your, what have your academics look like? You know, like I know that you've, I know that you've put in a lot of work. What has been some of the reward of that? You know, I was able to bring so many things that I've learned through this community and like into 
my academic life. Like I go into school and I look around and I like look for the similarities in people and I'm like, oh, you, let's talk. And I have created like a core group of friends in the on the same trajectory as me in the same nursing program. And we study and we bounce off of each other. I never thought I was smart enough to do this. I just thought this is not my thing. Some people are made for school and some people are made for work. And I'm a work person, not a school person. But that just wasn't true. I made Dean's List this past year. I have gotten 4.0s and I've just killed it like grade-wise. I didn't even know I was capable of these kinds of things. So I don't know. I don't know what to say about that. (laughs) Well, I think you just, I think you just said it and and like, nice job. That's like, this is the shit that, that we don't like, we don't know. We don't know what we're capable of. Yeah. And you know, to, you know, and like I, I've heard you say that oh, I'm not an academic. I'm not. I don't know how good of a student I'll be. And then it's like, you know what? You put your freaking mind to it because you're, because you're dedicated and you're a, like a hard worker, and that's that's it. Like, you want to be a student? Stephanie's a freaking student now, and not just any student. You know, it's Dean's List, like a good student. So like, nice job. And that's again, like the the things that, the way that we can reclaim our life, like when we when we honor when we honor ourselves. I think like, I just think that's amazing. And I'm just like, I'm incredibly proud of you like, as, a, as a friend. Like I'm, I'm proud of you. And it's cool to see. It's been cool to see the progress. So nice job. Thanks. I want I'm lucky to have people like you in my life. Um, I remember one time saying to you, you know, sometimes like it, it was like this with running. Sometimes you just find these things that you're like good at naturally. And you didn't know you were going to be good at them. Like I didn't like to run when I was younger. I picked that up in my late 20s. Like, I didn't know that I was going to enjoy it as much as I did. And I feel like that same thing happened to me in recovery. Like, it was just something I did that I just felt like I was naturally good at. And like, that's good because you are naturally good at that. Like, and I was like, thank you. (laughs) It's just something I just felt like you have this like hidden talent inside of you that you don't know unless you really give it your all. Like. Yeah, there's so much of ourselves that that I think we we tend to snuff out or just we dull with mm-hmm. with alcohol and, and I, hopefully that's not offensive to anyone. But it's like that. I mean, that was the case for me. There was like my true light, my my true light, and I know it sounds like I get it. I hear it too. It sounds corny, but like my true light wasn't shining. Who I was wasn't shining. Who I was capable of being wasn't shining like it was just kind of snuffed out because i was just a a little bit drunk all the time right just just surviving you were just we were we're just surviving we're not like fully living Mm -hmm. it's funny because it's like ebbs and flows so much and it's not always perfect and we're always doing this work Mm -hmm. i like to talk to people about recovery kind of like it's cleaning a closet whereas like you pull everything off of all the shelves and lay it out all around you. And you're just like, Oh my God, look at this mess. And like, nothing seems organized and it seems so overwhelming. You it like continues to get messier and messier before it gets better. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes you're just like, Lord, of putting that closet back together. <laughs> and you're like, but the thing is like, 
we're always a work in progress. If you have a goal, you get to that end goal and you don't have a new goal, you're not perfect. Nobody's perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. Like there's no ultimate goal. We should always be doing that work. So if you're feeling like overwhelmed, like when is this work going to be done? Well, it's not ever going to be done. So not like, <laughs> Try, I don't enjoy the ride. <laughs> like, I mean it like, how can I like explain it? Like, you know, like people talk about the reward of everything, mm-hmm. but if you're not always looking for a new better, if you're not looking for ways to improve, you're just kind of stagnant. You know, I think of all these books and these movies that we watch, like it's not like, it's not about the end, right? Mm-hmm. It's not about like, here's the beginning, here's the end. Like what's the part, what's the meat of it that gets us? It's, you know, it's the middle. It's that, it's that journey. And yeah, it has its ups and downs, but it's, I think it's embracing that journey, which is, it's hard at times because we because we want, you're right. We want that reward. But finding a way to have peace and realize that today, even if it's a hard day, is towards something better. What can I learn from today? How can I grow from today? And what and how can I apply that to tomorrow? It's okay. It's the, yeah that that we will never arrive can be depressing if we want it to be. But you know that Sisyphus find our find our joy in pushing that rock. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have ice cream every day. It's not really that great anymore. <laughs> not for lack of trying. <laughs> I've had those weeks before. Before we get into the the rapid fire and close us out. Um, oh, we didn't just, talk about, about well, the, my job. <laughs> yeah, uh, can you tell us quick a uh, quick story about how uh, a quick story about some bootleg hats and what that turned into? So um, I had my first meetup for Cafe RE with a gal, Nicole. What up, Nicole? Hey, Nicole. Out in New Jersey. And um, I had this great idea. I was like, every, at the time, like, you couldn't get a hat for Cafe RE. Like, if they were so exclusive, like, I wanted one so bad. I think, I think, I think the only time we ever had merch was, like, at some of our events, there was, like, a handful of shirts, a handful of hats that like you could, you could win, you know, with just like a goofy prize or something, but it wasn't like stuff wasn't widely available. Right. Right. And I was like, I want one. I want one of these coveted hats. And I was like, Nicole, I have the perfect idea. How about we meet, we have lunch somewhere and we make our own cafe RE hats. And I ordered us hats and I looked for the paints and stencils <laughs> and we, and painted on with fabric paint. It was like, like, like the, the puff, water. like the puff paint stuff. Yeah, like <laughs> we sat in the trunk of my car somewhere in the middle of our meeting and hand painted the. I was like, how hysterical are these going to be? These like little crude hats. <laughs> and we could have these bootleg hats. So I thought it was hysterical. Like it was funny to me. And I like, and I did it because I like loved it, you know? Mm-hmm. And. So we did this activity together, got to meet my, have my first in-person meetup and I posted it on, I guess like it was brought into a meeting. (laughs) A few days later, I got a message from Paul about the bootleg hat. And he was pissed, right? 
Oh, he was so mad. No, I'm just no. kidding. <laughs> no, he was like very flattered. And he said, like, you know, this is just an aspect that the community has asked for. It's not something I have a lot of space for. And I was just wondering if it's something that you would be interested in helping do. And, you know, one of my biggest love languages is gift giving. I love gift giving. I love like service and gift giving and just like it combines it all for me. So I take so much joy in being able to like produce something that lets like our community, our team be proud and show some of themselves with like it's when you can just like find that perfect thing Mm -hmm. and have people love it. It's just, it's rewarding. And yeah, so I got a video from Paul and Ty. (laughs) And next thing you know, I was joining the team and getting involved with Cafe RE in that respect. Now she's slinging merch. (laughs) Making hoodies. (laughs) Which is cool. Yeah, we've had some, like, we've had some real, real cool stuff, you know, tank tops and hoodies and, um, I mean, everybody loves a hoodie. I live in North Dakota, so that's like, I don't know, like 10, yeah, months out, 10, 10 months out of the year we're in a hoodie. I don't think people really know the story of the hoodie, though, which is, if you go on the page, I think you can find more of it. But it's modeled after a painting that I saw Paul holding up in a post once. And it's really it's by uh, an artist. Yeah. Uh, um, he was like a Cafe Ari alumni. Yeah. Uh, a He's guy who was, who was super in cool. I've communicated with him in order to make the hoodie. And I like, if I hadn't made that hoodie, I wouldn't have examined that um, picture so much. And it's so cool. The background in the texture of the writing, it says like a podcast, like 12 steps, like all these, like in the texture of the painting in the background. But that hoodie, like this is special. That one holds a special place in my heart. (laughs) That's very cool. Well, Recovery Elevator, if you ever feel like you could use a piece of RE merch, check it out on our website, and Stephanie will have a hand in it. So Yeah, you know what? Also, if you just want to show support for somebody in our community and you know somebody in our community, there are shirts for all kinds of people there, not just people that are sober, people that believe that this kind of a life is possible. Well... With that, Stephanie, we are at our rapid fire round. Did you study the questions? I did not. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Uh, I have no idea what they are. (laughs) I don't either. In in 30 to 60 seconds, uh, answer these questions. What's your biggest fear as you were thinking about quitting drinking? That life would be boring. That I would have no joy. That's a common one, man. (laughs) The opposite of that, what's a positive that you didn't expect in your life without alcohol? I would say definitely the connections that I've made with people all across the country and my ability to get opportunities to go new places and meet new people. What's your plan of sobriety moving forward? To keep doing the work. There's so much that I want to do. I have so much I want to do. And I really do want to incorporate it into my career goal with nursing. Like I do want to do something with recovery in that. That's cool. I can't like, I just, I'm excited to see where this goes for you. 
What parting piece of guidance can you give to our listeners who are in recovery or thinking about getting sober? Find your people. Like if, if it doesn't work at first, keep trying, keep coming back, (laughs) keep looking. They're there. There's a lot more similarities than differences. I love that. Find your people. And there's, man, there's, there are so many resources. And if you're not sure what resources there are, like reach out, reach out to us, reach out to this community and like, we can help you. I love it. Uh, and last, but certainly not least, can you give listeners your favorite? You might need to ditch the booze if line. Oh, you might need to ditch the booze if your running entertainment consists of quitlet. <laughs> that's that's got to be a clue. I love it. <laughs> Stephanie, thank you so much for taking time to to visit with us today and share a bit of your story. I appreciate you. I'm glad that you're here. Glad I that you're you. glad that you're one of us. All right. I love you, sister. Love you too. Recovery Elevator, thanks for listening. And thank you, Stephanie, for coming on the show. You're gonna help a lot of people today. I want to go back to what Odette was talking about in the intro. What is recovery to me? When I ask this question, my mind goes right to the list. Sometimes I meditate, I go to meetings, I work with a sponsor, I help at church, I'm on a podcast right now, and I do this and this and this. It's weird. I still want to quantify my recovery. How many days do I have? What are the things that I'm doing? Am I centered enough? Was my share good enough? Will anybody like this outro or that interview? It can bring me right back to those feelings I had when I was a kid. Those unmet needs left me asking, am I good enough? Without coping skills, that question was just too big, so I found a way to numb it. I don't think the point of recovery should be to fill a resume of self-awareness. These things can be good, but why are you doing them? Why am I doing them? There's a verse in the Bible that says, For it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. This is why I'm sober today. By grace, through faith and believing that it's possible. The works, they're a supplement, but they're not the measure. The quality of my recovery isn't equivalent to the quantity of work that I do. It doesn't matter if you're leading a sobriety movement or simply listening to a podcast on your way to work. If you're the person with 40 years at a meeting or 40 days, it doesn't matter. I've had amazing days in my first year of recovery, and I've had some pretty rough days in the last year of my recovery. I want to keep learning until I check out of this life, and if I believe that... I don't need to rush to get to a place that doesn't exist in the future. That place, it exists where my feet are right now. So back to the original question, what is recovery to me? For today, recovery is an opportunity. It's a chance, and I'm going to give it my best today. Maybe I'll stumble, maybe I'll even fall, but I'm going to do my best. God willing, I'm going to get to do it again tomorrow too. We're the only ones that can do this recovery elevator, but we don't have to do it alone. I love you guys.